Welcome back to Spin Class. I'm Michael Freyan here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and we're talking politics. We are back after extended vacay, vacation during the months of July and a little bit of August. You know, you got to get a little rest in there because uh, we're going to be going full throttle uh, all the way up until Election Day of 2013. And in New York City in particular, Election Day in many races actually means primary day. Primary day coming up September Tuesday, September the 10th. And uh, if you didn't realize, uh, that is right smack in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah falling the week of Labor Day this year. The traditional kickoff of the election season. And uh, it almost seems as if this race just can't get any weirder here in New York City. And it's not just the mayoral race anymore. When we left you last time, the mayoral race was weird, but not much else. We didn't really have that much else to talk about. But then, all of a sudden, three days, a mere 72, 96 hours before petitions were due, the former governor known by the moniker from the New York Post as the LoveGov, Elliot Spitzer, none other than Elliot Spitzer, jumps into the controller race. And not only did he have the effect of upending what was going to be a coronation of Manhattan Borough President and former Assemblyman Scott Stringer, who had dropped out of the mayoral race in order to run for controller, kind of cleared the field on the Democrat side, which really probably would have led to a general election coast to victory, Elliot Spitzer gets in there, and now he is running, let's say, a good 15, 19, depending on the polling, points ahead. And that, despite every single newspaper, pretty much every single elected official out there, pretty much the entire establishment of New York City saying that we would like Scott Stringer to win. But let's see. Let's see what happens. Uh, Elliot Spitzer obviously has got significant name recognition. He's got a ton of money, and he's clearly showed he's willing to spend it. And, uh, folks, it's any it's anybody's race. But the other thing it served to do is that Spitzer, and Spitzer just being in there, has sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the mayoral race. That was also energized a little bit by Anthony Weiner's continued intemperate, inopportune indiscretions with regard to his uh, social media expertise. And the one-time front-runner who also scrambled that race is now looking like an also-ran, running in fourth place with Bill de Blasio, Bill Thompson, and Christine Quinn vying for supremacy in the Democratic primary. Now, the interesting thing there is just the, to remind everyone, only two of them will get into a runoff. And the top two will, none of them doesn't look like they're going to get to 40%. The top two are going to go ahead and run off three weeks later, shortly before the general election. On the Republican side, you have Joe Loda, John Katsimatidis, George McDonald, and it's really a race right now between Lodo and Katsimatidis. Not a lot of Republicans in New York City. 
So that is going to be an interesting exercise is to see who is going to turn out and what they're going to turn out for. John Katzmatidi is going after the mantle of the Bloomberg. I'm willing to spend whatever it takes to win. And that excites certain Republicans, for sure. Joe Lota going the traditional, I'm a Republican. I served with Giuliani. I was there in 9-11. I know how to run the city route. And uh, it's interesting, interesting contrast. They couldn't be more different, the two of them. So we're going to talk about pretty much everything. we got a great lineup coming up. Uh, we'll have political GOP political consultant Jonathan Greenspun joining us. We'll have Democratic political consultant Michael Tobin joining us and Brooklyn expert for the Brooklyn Junkie in you. And later on in the show, we are going to have Ben Smith, the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, joining us. And uh, hopefully we'll expand our horizons a little bit just beyond New York. We'll be talking, there are other races, bellwether races around the country. Virginia, New Jersey, and uh, New Jersey actually just celebrated a primary last week, in case you were paying attention. They had a Republican and a Democratic primary. The Democratic primary was thought, perhaps, to be a little bit competitive, but Cory Booker, who we've mentioned a couple times on this show, has really ran away with a primary, a four-way primary, with some prominent congressmen there, and he sw- he, he really uh, swept to victory. And now he faces uh, little-known mayor, former mayor of Bogota, not Bogota, Colombia, or it could be Bogota, I think is the appropriate New Jersey pronunciation, Steve Lonigan. So there's another interesting race, and that is going to be a special election a couple weeks before to fill that Senate seat. That's going to be a couple weeks before the Chris Christie election in New Jersey, which will be, of course, on Election Day. And Chris Christie faces off against Barbara Buono, which we'll have to see whether that will be a cakewalk, whether that is going to be a commanding type of crushing victory that Christie can use to propel him into 2016, assuming he has those ambitions, which many people prognosticate that he does as a Northeast moderate Republican governor who can win in a blue state like New Jersey. And Christie is looking to go ahead and ramp up to a big victory. And that's kind of what they need. Similarly, that we have Governor Andrew Cuomo here in New York now gearing up for his reelection next year. Everybody's looking towards their next election. It doesn't matter whether it's this year or next year. Andrew Cuomo looking to go ahead and bolster his numbers, which uh, took a little bit of a softening over the summer. Now looking at next year to propel himself to a big win so that perhaps he can look at 2016 as well. And at the same time, we also have, particularly over the presidential race, the 800-pound gorilla. I hate to say that, but it's, you know, it, it's kind of true with regard to this race. Uh, Hillary Clinton kind of hovering over the 2016 race now that she's no longer Secretary of State, now that she's getting involved in the Clinton Foundation, now that the Clintons are going, are, you know, once again pushing a very significant public profile and persona. The, the uh, Hillary is kind of the person right now 
the person to beat, certainly on the Democratic side. It's going to be tough, as we mentioned before, for somebody like Andrew Cuomo to insert himself, being from the same state, being from New York, to go ahead and try and overcome that built-in advantage. So what we're looking at right now is a very, very spirited 2013 here in New York City. Uh, We also got some county executive races, which are going to be very interesting in the suburban counties. Nassau County has an unusual primary for county executive on the Democratic side. Adam Haber versus Tom Suozzi for the privilege of running against Ed Mangano. Westchester County has Rob Astorino, Republican, incumbent, running against Noam Bramson, Noam Bramson uh, the mayor of New Rochelle. And a very interesting and spirited race in Rockland County for county executive, particularly on the Democratic side. And hopefully we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. Uh, particularly on the Democratic side, you have uh, multiple candidates, all kinds of uh, ca- petition challenges, getting certain candidates off the ballot and the like, and trying to, uh, the old-fashioned way, win by attrition in, uh, in the political world. So, as we know, politics is never boring. There's just so much going out there and we, going on out there. And as we like to do is take you, the listeners, behind the scenes, get a better understanding of what's going on. Not really just about the headlines, right? We got to understand the business of politics, how it works, how it's unfolding, why it happens the way it does. And uh, as we are very fortunate to have experts out there who join us, and uh, unpack things, peel back the onion. I love to use all those cliches and metaphors. And executive assistant of Rummy is, is nodding in agreement, likes the onion metaphor particularly. Actually, I like the unpacking thing. I hadn't heard that before I started working with you. I like that. You like unpack? Okay. Yeah, I like the unpacking. Well, you know, it's the summer, so there's a lot of traveling, packing, unpacking. And I want to welcome uh, Jonathan Greenspun from Mercury Public Affairs here, a, a longtime friend and Republican political strategist. Uh, who has a, a lot, very deep experience in New York City politics, having uh, guided uh, m- many candidates to victory over his career. Jonathan, welcome back to Spin Class. Thank you so much, Michael. So, uh, so can we term the 2013 uh, city at races as kind of the um, the weird season? How? What would you say? I don't like to use the silly season. Uh, it's it's definitely the weird season. I mean, uh, we've got people getting slapped at uh, press conferences. We've got um, um, attacks starting right now. Uh, we've got um, uh, a can- two candidates who have, um, um, for therapeutic reasons, decided to run for office to redeem themselves. Um, uh, we've had uh, th- this is um, this is definitely. Um, uh, the the what I would consider the craziest uh, primary season uh, in if not in recent memory I mean I, I did the seventy seven um, primary with with Koch and uh, that wide open uh, primary that, that that was also um, pretty bitterly fought um, but probably not since seventy seven have we seen uh, what we're seeing right now play out on the Democratic primary side it's uh, it's wild. So you got to go back 35 years to find a mayoral primary this interesting. That that's a, that's amazing. 
talk, talk to us for a second about the state of play right now on uh, and, you know, even as a Republican, you're going to look at the Democratic side. These candidates have been running for a long time. Right. I, I, de Blasio, Quinn, Thompson, Wiener in, out, but he's run before. So he's he's kind of a longtime candidate. John Liu. Uh, and just there doesn't seem to be anybody who's been able to dominate this race. Well, no, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get someone to dominate a race in such a crowded field. Right. I mean, you know, one of the things I think everyone has accepted as a given, including the campaign finance board, is that there's going to be a runoff and candidates now have the opportunity to actually raise money uh, for that runoff. Um, I think that if you look at the field, I think that um, it's kind of a Chinese menu for a Democratic primary voter. There are some who prefer um, someone who's more in line with Mayor Bloomberg, which of course would be Christine Quinn. There are other people who would prefer um, uh, candidates more to the left, and so they would have John Liu. Um, and, and an interesting thing has happened in the last couple of weeks where um, you, you have seen the race take shape in, in the way that I think many of the, the both the candidates and their campaigns and also those who observe primaries, um, it's taken shape kind of the way everyone had predicted. So where we are today, believe it or not, for, for those who understand how primaries work, we, we are where I think everyone thought we would be six, seven, eight months ago, where you now have a three-way race between Chris Quinn, Bill de Blasio, and Bill Thompson. The entrance of Wiener in April really threw a monkey wrench into what we'll call the conventional wisdom. Um, Wiener came in, and for the first couple of weeks, you had a press corps that was traveling everywhere with him to see what everyone wanted to see, which is how would New Yorkers react to him. And to everyone's surprise, including Anthony Wiener, um, he was for a large part embraced, and for a short while there he was actually in some of the polls running ahead. What's happened now is, since the revelations that he continued his um, activities um, after he resigned from Congress, um, he's just taken a nosedive and is uh, kind of locked in um, at 10%. Um, uh, when Wiener talks about those struggling to make it, he's talking about his campaign. Um, well said. <laughs> so um, he's certainly not talking about himself as middle class. He now lives on uh, Park Avenue. Um, but uh, so what happened? What happened was is that um, th- this has kind of breathed new life into Bill Thompson and Bill de Blasio, where they're now in a theoretical race for second. I say theoretical because no one is going to know until prime, you know, the night of primary night. Hopefully, we'll know if these machines, if these voting machines work. Um, who's going to finish first? And then there's going to be a serious race for second place to make it into the Democratic primary, and that's going to be very, very close. Turnout is expected to be low, although you never, you never know. Um, and if turnout is low. Uh, and when I mean low, I mean you know five, six hundred thousand Democratic primary voters. Wild things can happen because when you're talking about a, you're talking about a motivated base, each in their own right coming out for their own candidate. No poll can accurately track that, and so there could be some very, very surprising results the night of September 10th which don't look anything like the polls have indicated in the last several months. Well, we're here with Jonathan Greenspun on Spin Class. And, uh, Jonathan, what about the idea that some Wiener voters who – are they really loyal 
to Anthony Weiner. They're going to stick with him once they realize that he's probably not going to be the guy, or he might not be the guy, or John Lou voters, or Sal Albany's voters. Yeah, are, are they going to? Are there going to be defections of any sort to the other three? It's given yeah, the fact that pro- it's so pro- wide open. There probably will. I mean, there is. There, look, there are some people who vote their conscience. John Lou does have a a small but significant base of support. They are going to follow him through the gates of hell. They will go anywhere with him. They believe in John. They believe in his message. And many of them believe um, that he has been targeted in this investigation, that a lot of what's happened to him has been unfair. So they will absolutely stick with him. I just don't think that John has the bandwidth to come in and compete for that second-place position. But he will do well. What he ultimately does and who he ultimately ends up supporting is a whole different story, which I can't even begin to predict. So for him, um, it's all potentially all about an endorsement during the runoff time. Yeah, and you know what? Expect people to be very, very nice to to John in tonight's debate. They have absolutely – no one has any reason whatsoever to go after John Liu. No one has any reason to go after Anthony Weiner um, as well. In fact, in the last debate – when some of the uh, reporters who were who, who were questioning uh, tried to bait people into fights with Weiner, n- none of them wanted to take the bait. Um, and so, you, what you're going to see tonight in tonight's debate, and this is a pivotal debate tonight, I mean, and everyone should definitely tune in. These it's, are the campaign finance debates. Uh, they actually uh, the campaign finance debates, the official debates of. Uh... For the, uh... well, the, the, these are the official debates, and um, you know you can only you can only participate if you if you have a strong showing. You're not going to have what you saw in the governor's race a number of years ago with people, you know, like Jimmy McMillan from the Rent is Too Damn High party, you know, sucking all the wind and attention out of what's going on. But um, between Quinn De Blasio and Thompson, it's going to be very very interesting. Expect De Blasio to go after Quinn. Expect Thompson to go after De Blasio. Um, the gloves will probably be off. It will be very entertaining from a political uh, perspective and, and could move some numbers one way or the other, depending on how things go. Let's talk for the, about the Republican primary for a second. Yeah. How do you see that? How do you see that going? Uh, it's unusual to have a Republican primary. We haven't had it since uh, the Ronald Lauder, uh, Giuliani gave. Oh, no, there was a Bloomberg Badillo primary, correct? Bloomberg Badillo and Bloomberg beat him handily. Um, um, I, I, I think that, um, as was the case um, in, in Louder, who had you know serious money to spend against Giuliani, I think Joe Loda is ultimately going to uh, come out victorious here. I said that all along. Um, I am surprised by the level of resources that uh, John Casamitidis has put into the race. I mean, he said he was going to spend money, and he did. He was true to his word. Um, however. Um, I'm uh, I am uh, predicting a, uh, a a load of victory. Um, now turnout on the Republican side is even lower than on the Democratic side. It must be very hard to to pull that type of race with such a few, with such a small you know, subset of voters. It's almost impossible, but I do think that Loda has the name recognition both from his time, his stint at um, with the Giuliani administration, which, as you know, you know Republicans uh, love that administration. <laughs> they uh, they pine for those days. Right. Um, I think I, I think I've said before. Uh, 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 to the listeners that I, I feel it's difficult, and I think John Katzmatidis actually said it on the show, talks about the fact that he's a Clinton Democrat, which, in my mind, I just don't see that popularity being a po- very popular thing 
in Republican clubs around the city. Exactly, and I think that I think that what you're what what Republicans tend to look for in primaries are people who are going to govern um, in in the New York Republican way, which is certainly much more of a centrist approach uh, when it comes to social issues and a bunch of other things. But again, I think that they look at Loda as a as a good manager. Um, I, I think that if he were the candidate um, to represent the party in November, I think that Republicans would feel certainly more confident in, in, in Joe Loda's chances than in John Casamitidi's uh, chances. Very interesting. Who would be uh, who would be as a Republican strategist your dream candidate of the three? Not. You know, not Anthony Weiner. Well, I would the, say the dream probably, opponents. Yeah, no, understood. Be, uh, yeah, it would, Democrat. It would be it would be Bill De Blasio because De Blasio has clearly positioned himself as the most liberal progressive candidate that you have out there. I think there would be a very very spirited debate between Loda and De Blasio on issues like public safety, on issues like taxes, on issues um, about education. I think there would be a very very clear compare and contrast that voters would be able to absorb and understand and then vote on. So, yeah, I think that of the of the three, um, I would say that if you're Joe Loda, um, you probably want um, uh, Bill de Blasio. This is Spin Class. We're talking to Republican political strategist Jonathan Greenspun from Mercury Public Affairs, and I want to welcome to the show, or back to the show, Michael Tobin from Hudson TG and other sort of other titles, a noted uh, Democrat uh, uh, strategist and a longtime friend. Michael, welcome back to uh, Spin Class. Thank you for having me, and I always enjoy hearing Jonathan's analysis. So good. So I'm going to throw some analysis uh, opportunities your way. As a Democratic strategist, you'd rather see the free spending John Katzenmatidis, who's willing to do what it takes as a uh, as a candidate and spend his many millions. Uh, against the Democrat, or you'd rather see uh, Joe Loda uh, potentially with the as uh, the Giuliani term number three uh, out there? Who's your favorite candidate as a Democratic strategist? I think the best candidate or the preferred candidate the Democratic nominee would like to run against is, is Katsimatidis. Uh, despite the money and whatever consultants are working with uh, Mr. Katsimatidis, I uh, applaud their business savvy. Uh, in, in working with such a, a wealthy, uh, free-spending fellow who's, who's great to spend time with personally, but as a, as a candidate, uh, he doesn't come across so well. I think Democrats would like to run against him. Um, I think with Loda, uh, uh, he's a serious guy. He's, he's a serious candidate. He uh, certainly has the managerial experience, and what he did getting New York City back up and running after Sandy was nothing short of miraculous. Uh, he would be a serious uh, candidate and a tough candidate to run against. Um, for all those reasons, I think Democrats would rather run against Katsimatidis. Okay, very interesting. Let, let's switch gears as far as races are concerned. There are a lot of races going on around mm -hmm. the city, uh, but one that looms large, and we mentioned it earlier, is the controller race. It was looking to be ho-hum, and then all of a sudden, this political earthquake came about mm -hmm. with... Uh, the ex-governor, the former governor, Elliot Spitzer, getting into the race. And, uh, Michael, as a, as a Democrat, uh, that has that has really changed a lot of the calculus for Democrats running throughout the city. Uh, uh, 
the presence of Elliot Spitzer now in the mm-hmm. race. And uh, Democrats around the state and with the entire establishment seems to be al- uh, aligned against him to try and uh, make sure he loses. And uh, that right now, the polling doesn't seem to be uh, seems to be in his favor. Um, to give a lawyer-like answer, it depends, right? You never get a straight answer out of a lawyer. It's always it depends. Um, I'm working on a lot of council races, working on a borough president race, helping out with a, a citywide race for a public advocate. Um, the Elliott race, Elliott's presence or uh, a return is such a unique situation. Uh, it almost stands by itself. Um, and there are a lot of lessons. It's a very instructive race. The fix was in for Scott early. Let's remember they 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 press, uh, pressured uh, Dan Councilman Dan Gorodnik out of the race. They uh, encouraged Councilman Dominic Recchia out of the race. Um, they insisted that John Liu not retur- not run for his old office. Um, the powers that be. The fix was in, and that never sits well with voters, and that's a vacuum. That's an empty space. In a city of 8.5 million people, to have one candidate running for the top money management position is, is, uh, is a shame. It's inappropriate. Elliot stepped into that vacuum. So I think uh, we learned the fix should never be in. You should welcome a spirited race. Uh, one of two things happen when you run. You either win or you lose. But you have to have that option. And uh, Elliot stepped into a space where everyone was trying to avoid that for Scott. And it didn't sit well. Um, as Scott is well-liked, he's popular where he is known, but he's not known in a lot of areas. And Elliot has what must be 100% name recognition. Uh, this is going to be a serious race. Um, There's some very I, decisive opinions with regard to Elliot Spitzer, I imagine. So, Jonathan, do you ever have a situation that you can remember where all the newspaper editorial boards were – yeah, we're on one side, and all the political establishment and all the elected officials were on either side. And yet, as you know, Michael uh, Tobin is is alluding to that uh, that's not sitting well with voters. Is that the, is that kind of the backlash? Is that what makes Spitzer such a compelling candidate? Well, it, it's an interesting race to be sure. I, I the answer is no. I can't remember where an establishment. I mean, this is truly unique because um, you know Scott's. I mean, uh, you know, Scott's been able to unite uh, Wall Street and the teachers' union. <laughs> That's happened before. Someone tell me when. Um, but but uh, look, you might have I, the charter school advocates as well. <laughs> it, 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 it's very interesting. You know, politics makes strange bedfellows, and that's certainly no exception in this case. Um, look, I agree with what what Michael said in principle that that yeah, there should always be more than 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 one choice uh, for a primary electorate. I think that's true. Um, I think Spitzer getting in when he did. Um, it could have gone both ways. I mean, he waited until the absolute last minute to get in. Um, he has been receiving some uh, very interesting outer borough minority support. And, and the question is, is that more about people wanting to take their picture with him on the street because he's a pseudo-celebrity, or is that you know really born out of any um, real uh, uh, um, affection towards who he was. Elliot always did well in the minority community. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, could that support in the outer boroughs um, propel him to a victory? I, I, I don't know what Michael's take on this race is, but I think that Scott is going to wipe the floor 
with Elliott in Manhattan. I think that um, you saw that you know, the, the, the New York Times editorial was particularly personal against Spitzer. They usually don't get personal. They like mm-hmm. to stay, mm-hmm. you know, they like mm-hmm. to stay above board and make it about substance. And so, given uh, Scott's uh, bona fides as the borough president, given the fact that he has always been the favorite son of the Upper West Side, given the fact that he is mishpacha to uh, Bella Abzug, uh, given the fact that he um, has built a reputation in Manhattan among a liberal base of uh, being a good guy who can govern well, um, I don't see Spitzer doing well in Manhattan. However, yeah, I, I, would, I would point out, and I, I, I don't know that I disagree with you, Jonathan, as much as I just want to layer some, some um, texture onto this. Um, let's remember that pretty much every editorial board in New York State, except for Newsday, um, was against Tom DiNapoli's reelection against Wilson. Um, but that didn't, at the end of the equation, you know, Tom got, Tom got elected to the office he was first appointed to. Um, I, I want, you know, I read the New York Times editorial a bit differently. I read it as, um, you know, we'd like to see Scott in. Chances are Elliot's going to win. Let's write something that our friend could frame and put on the wall of his office and point to and say, but for that guy, I would have been controller. I, I kind of felt there was a bit of a wistful, resigned tone to the editorial. And I think Manhattan voters, which are, I agree, very much Scott's base, may read that as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I could be over-intellectualizing it, but um, I, I definitely picked up a wistful, resigned. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say Stringer's going to win. I think he's going to win uh, by a very small margin. But I think he is going to win. I, 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 you know, on the show, uh, I'll, I'll bet you five dollars that Elliot wins, and okay, I don't have a horse in this race. Okay. So we're, and and, and uh, certainly neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going even money here, just as the bookie? We'll go, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll go even money. I mean, Vegas is probably going to move the line, but uh, let's. Uh, you and let's, I just move the line. Yeah, you we're, just we're move the line. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gentlemen. Well, as long as we're wagering for a second, before sure. you know, since we mentioned the outer boroughs, and I want to get to those for a second. But uh, we, the New York Times endorsements, where is that going in the mayoral race? Um, uh, yeah, Michael, why don't you go first? I want to hear what you have to say. I, you know, it, it, I think we could safely say it's not going to Anthony Weiner or John Liu. We are in agreement. <laughs> oh, so no wagers on that one, gentlemen. No, no, okay, no. this is Spin Class. We're here talking with uh, Republican political strategist Jonathan Greenspun, Democratic political strategist Michael Tobin helping us understand the complexities and I think there are a lot of complexities right now of uh, with regard to the 2013 races we'll probably have some more clarity on September 10th but not necessarily in the mayoral race because we don't really have a lot of confidence out there and it's been alluded to before by uh, Mr. Greenspun in the Board of Elections to be able to count the votes in this election and uh, maybe both of you can take a turn uh, you know, trying to explain that to the listeners out there, why New York City, the greatest city in the world, can't seem to count its votes. I will, if Jonathan's okay, I'll, I'll start by saying I, I think the Board of Elections does a mostly laudable job. I don't. It, it's a, it's a complicated city. It's a sprawling city. It's a crowded city. Um, I, I think they do a pretty good job for what is a very difficult situation. I think that um, 
when we moved over to electronic machines and digital machines and computerized machines, I was doing a very competitive race in Nassau County, as you remember, Michael, and, and um, you know, they were finding memory sticks to upload, you know, four hours after the, the polls were closed. Oh, it was stuck at the bottom of a bag. I don't think that these are problems unique to New York City. I think they're problems unique. They're problems endemic to institutions. I think we could probably better professionalize the board. I think we can maybe get some better people uh, rank and file positions, but I, I think New York City Board of Elections is uh, unjustly maligned too often. I think they do an all right job. Well, I, I agree with I agree with Michael. I think that look any any business any organization which has to deal with data and the collection of data has built into that system uh, a, a a percentage of error. It's just listen when you're dealing with human beings, you have to understand that there's going to be human error. Um, I, for one, am very – I am resting easier at night knowing that we're going to be going back to the lever machines because I think that for so long – Assuming that they work, though. No, they, they will. I mean, listen, you know, that. no, I think they'll be fine. I mean, listen, they're 100 years old to begin with, so, I mean, you know, what are we talking about here? I mean, you know, I mean, you know occasionally – you know, in a, in a local council race, if someone's got a personal um, vendetta against someone, someone walks into the booth with a screwdriver, they crack off a lever and somebody can't vote, and then you've got to go paper and all that. But that's been going on from, since time immemorial. I, I would say this. I think that you're going to get a faster count. I was very, very worried, even though the, the, the runoff has now been expanded by one week, extended by one week. Um, I was very, very worried about not knowing, you know, who the nominee would even be after September 10th with the machine. And by the way, think about what a disaster that is, because the checks for the runoff account get cut as soon as runoff candidates are declared. Could you imagine a scenario where a week, 10 days, three days, I don't care, three days would go by, where the, where the campaign finance board would be shackled by releasing those funds because it was unclear mm-hmm. about who was in the runoff. That would be terrible, terribly unfair to the well, candidates. If you, if you recall the last time Anthony Weiner won, there was a lot of uncertainty about whether he was making the runoff or not? It, well, I, I, I think it, there was uncertainty for a couple of hours, Michael. And I say this, you know, knowing full right. well that and, and you know, Freddie Ferrer, Freddie Ferrer is in my office, decision. and uh, right. you know, he That's works. Right. I work with him, and so I think if I've had long conversations with Freddie about this, look, uh, I think that Weiner was, you know, it, it, there was there were a few hours there as to whether or not Freddie had gotten the forty percent. In the end, now we know he got the forty percent, and no one, no one wanted to see a repeat of what happened in 2001 um, with, with internecine uh, uh, fights about who really made a runoff. Nobody wanted to see that. For sure. Let, let's go to uh, Michael Tobin's home borough here, and well, actually the Jonathan Greenspan's home borough, but he doesn't live there now. Uh, well, we is that great? Larry, Larry King wrote a book years ago, said that when you're from Brooklyn, every place else is Tokyo. Everyone from everywhere is originally from Brooklyn. Okay, well, there you go. So we're going to go to Brooklyn for a second. Now, Brooklyn has also a ho-hum uh, borough president's race, but <laughs> they seem to have a pretty lively district attorney's race. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's presenting some interesting dynamics, particularly when it comes to the Jewish community. And you have an internal feud going on between uh, Assemblyman Dove Hyken and Councilman David Greenfield over who they're supporting with all kinds of accusations back and forth. And uh, as two guys, the two of you have followed Jewish politics very, very closely over the years, uh, is, is what kind of uh, proxy war is going on here? What, what, what are the dynamics of that race? 
why is Joe Hines perceived to be vulnerable? And uh, and let, you know, let's take it from there. And who is uh, who is the challenger, uh, Mr. Thompson? Uh, not to be confused with Bill Thompson, of course. Although maybe right. some people will. So, uh, Michael, I'll let you as give you the home court uh, oh, first uh, first um, shot there. What started off as a three-way race with uh, Manhattan prosecutor Abe George uh, also running has turned into a two-person race that is um, getting split along mostly demographic and racial lines with some notable exceptions. For example, the Reverend Assemblyman Kareem Kamara, who's chair of the uh, Senate Assembly Black uh, Hispanic Asian Caucus in Albany, is supporting the incumbent Joe Hines. Um, it's an immensely complicated race. I suspect that the DA, the incumbent DA, Joe Hines, has an edge uh, with inroads with prominent uh, um, African-American ministers and clergy throughout the borough. Um, and Ken Thompson, the challenger, has some liabilities around his handling of the uh, DSK case. Um, involving DSK meaning Dominique uh, Strauss-Kahn. Strauss-Kahn, the former head of the IMF. Um, Thompson the, represented the maid. Accuser. The yes. accuser, correct. Um, you know, within the Jewish community, within the Torah community, observant community, I mean, within the spectrum of, of, of observance, the proxy battle you're discussing between Councilman Greenfield and Assemblyman Hyken uh, is sort of more within the Torah community, observant community. I think secular uh, Jews, um, like my, myself and my parents, um, are probably already voting for Heinz. Uh, for the incumbent, um, the incumbent DA's uh, handling of um, abuse cases reported out of the observing community uh, has become a lightning rod. But ultimately, I think the community in mass supports the incumbent. Um, I think Assemblyman Hykend is contrarian and uh, hasn't gamed out this race to the end other than if David's on one side, I'm on the other. Uh, but, you know, those two... Uh, who you know we are all very close with, are, are going to be doing this for many races and, and for many years. Uh, but I suspect the incumbent gets reelected. Well, my observation of this is that um, if, if Hines does win, I mean, you talk about battle-tested. Uh, he had a very difficult race uh, the year that he, um, that he indicted um, uh, Clarence Norman. 2005. Norman, 2005. Yeah. Um, this race, I think, is much more difficult. You think that you know when you indict the county chairman, um, you, you've already raised the bar. Um, but but I, I re I'm just talking about reading the newspapers. I mean, Hines has been kicked and punched every which way um, from from uh, from all segments. I mean, you know, you talk about the Michael talked about the. Um, the Orthodox Jewish community, I mean, therein also you've seen a, a split where there are some people who feel you know, he hasn't done enough. There are others who feel uh, that he has struck a, right, that a correct balance. Um, so I would say this. I can't predict the race one way or the other, but I, I will just tell you that if Joe Hines um, wins this race, I think he will have uh, won just about the toughest race um, you can never win. Um, he has really been battle tested here, and um, uh, I think it would, um, you know, send a message to future candidates that he just might be one of those DAs that uh, um, leaves office when he wants to leave office. <laughs> okay, well, that's uh, and you know, Kara, with regard to the hike in Greenfield uh, situation and uh, how that's becoming very intensely personal. You know, Michael sized it up very well. I mean, you know, it's it's one of these things where, 
Look, um, without getting into the personalities of the two, I mean, listen, there's, it's, it's clear that, um, uh, you know, I think what's, it's very interesting. What's happening with David and Dove is very, very indicative of what's happening with the district that they represent. You have an older generation versus, new, versus a new generation. I think Dove is clearly with the more established older generation. He's been in office for close to 30 years. David represents uh, some new blood, um, the younger generation coming up in politics, a generation unlike um, uh, the one before, um, grew up with access to social media, is much more involved in politics, is much more aware of the intricacies of politics, um, is much more wired in um, and, and active and excited. Um, you know, the numbers coming out of Borough Park, when you, when you look at, you know, with the exceptions of, of 93 and 97, where, you know, in the 48th Assembly District, you saw unprecedented numbers come out for Giuliani, um, I think more even in, in 97 than in, than in, in 93. Um, you, you then really, after that period of time, through the latter part of the 90s and the earlier part of 2000, um, the community was really asleep. Certainly they were asleep in primaries. I mean, I think when Simplefelder ran for council in 2001, I, I forget what the total amount of votes were, but it was very, very low. When David came onto the scene, I think that he tapped into a, a, a sleeping giant of sorts of, of, of younger um, Hasidic and ultra-Orthodox Jews who, who grew up on things like Vasis Nias in the yeshiva world and had access to Twitter and, and, and just a generation that became much more plugged into politics uh, far from the generation before. I, I would add to that, uh, David, having participated in David's um, special election uh, to the city council, there was also a very deliberate, concerted effort to engage younger female voters, um, anywhere from 22 to 35 uh, in that special election. There was no reason why they should vote for anybody but someone of their generation. Right. Um, very interesting. And and just the very last point, so we got to end this segment, is... Uh, Based on what you're saying, though, Greenfield seems to be going with the establishment, meaning Hines, as opposed to the new blood, potentially, is Thompson, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, you know, Michael, we're probably going to say the same thing here, but uh, I, think you said, I think you answered the question already. Yeah. I, I think that much of this is a compare and contrast. Right. Uh, uh, you say potato, I say potato. You go right, I go left. Um, there isn't... I don't want to. I don't want to question David's support of Joe Hines. I believe it to be real, as I believe Dove's support of of uh, Ken Thompson. All right, I would agree with that. We're going to have to leave it right there. I appreciate it, uh, Jonathan Greenspun, a Republican political consultant. Thanks for coming on once again to Spin Class. Michael Tobin, a Brooklyn expert and a Democratic political consultant from Hudson TG. Thank you very much, both of you, for joining us. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Likewise. Take care. I want to welcome to Spin Class uh, Ben Smith, editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed and one of the premier political pundits uh, in the United States covering all aspects of politics out there. Uh, ben, welcome back to Spin Class. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Sorry for keeping you waiting, uh, talking about a very interesting uh, DA primary in your home borough as well, Brooklyn, as Michael I'm Tobin said. fascinated by that race. Yeah, uh, Michael Tobin said everybody is from Brooklyn, I guess including uh, national figures like yourself. 
mean, Brooklyn's probably is like the most interesting county in the country these days, right? No, I think, I mean, it's the, DA, the DA's race is, is fascinating. It's amazing to me that Hines still has a job, basically. <laughs> well, care to expand on that? Well, I mean, he's been, in, you know, he's been widely criticized and reported on for locking up innocent people and convict and, and letting guilty people walk free and that seems like those seem like major issues for a district attorney. You mean uh, his uh, chief lieutenant, uh, I think Michael Vecchioni or something, they're now reviewing all his cases. And the interesting thing I think about that is that the panel that he empowered there is all his supporters and contributors. I mean, it's kind of a joke. Like it's just not something you could get away with at a at a level where there was a normal where there was the kind of scrutiny that even like a Manhattan politician I think would get. And I just and I think you know he for once has a really strong. Rival, who, by the way, is African American in the biggest African American county in the country. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think like Hines has played these very, very traditional constituency politics for his career. Right. Um, right. Well, and certainly it, with Orthodox Jews, among others, and, and it's really sort of interesting to see if that keeps working. So, interestingly enough, uh, you, you had a sit-down chat, not a fireside chat, but a but a beer chat with uh, none other than Anthony Weiner. And uh, recently, and, and just he had iced coffee. Okay, well he. Oh, okay. That's that's. I had a inter- beer. Interesting tidbit. I needed so you needed to be prepared well yeah. for that. We'll talk about that for a second, and uh, the 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 flash in the pan nature of Anthony Weider. Is he still a factor in the mayoral race, or is he I don't just know. is he just it, a sideshow? It sure doesn't. It sure doesn't feel like it. Um, he feels like a sideshow. Ruby Kramer, our reporter, was out there yes, day before yesterday and was one of three reporters up there in the Bronx. You know, the whole the swore the sort of crowds of press and of people have kind of gone. And he felt when I talked to him just so exhausted by the whole thing. Like it just he was having less fun than any politician I've ever seen. Okay, why does why is he gonna take it all the way to primary day? I mean, it's you know, it's it's, it's August twenty first, right? At this point, what's the point of dropping out? Well, I I think just I recall um there was this guy Andrew Cuomo, who who once upon a time uh, was running for governor. I mean, I think I think his future um, his you know is 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 like to the extent that he could possibly have a political future. It's not about cutting some deal with people with insiders who loathe him. It's about showing surprising people by how many votes he can get. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, I want to just move beyond New York for a couple minutes, and uh, I want to just talk about the fact it is 2013, so it's an off year federally, but there, we always look at these bellwether races, one of them be, in particular being Virginia. And uh, the I, now the Republicans have nominated a very, very conservative uh, nominee, Ken Cusinelli, as, and uh, the Democrats have a Clinton uh, insider. Terry McAuliffe, which yeah. is itself a very uh, a very interesting uh, you know a very interesting race you know to a certain degree maybe a, a proxy uh, type of battle or a harbinger for 2014 and 2016. I mean, I do think it's it's not. I mean, I do think it's well. I don't know. I mean, I see it more as as like kind of a, a mess the Clintons are sort of having to deal with on the perimeter. I mean, Terry McAuliffe is. I mean, these are two really deeply flawed candidates. Right. Um, you know, just sort of seeing who can lose slower. I mean, it certainly hasn't helped Cuccinelli that there's this massive scandal around the incumbent Republican governor, Bob McDonald, taking gifts from a donor and his wife. Now, basically, his excuse is that his wife was doing and he didn't know, like, it's a total catastrophe. Um, 
so yeah, but but I think for the you know it's all this sort of insider weirdness around Taylor, Terry McAuliffe. I think he employed Hillary Clinton's brother at this green tech company. It's all just like the kind of stuff that the Clinton that like nobody wants to think about from the nineties. So I think it might be fair to say that the Clintons are not having such a great 2013 campaign season. No, I mean, it's also possibly fair to say that who cares? <laughs> okay. Is, is that uh, – it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily that's, that's rub the off. Best, the best case for the Clintons – that's the, be, the best possible case for the Clintons is that it will all be forgotten. There's not really any upside. Okay, interesting. Now let's talk for a second. The GOP just had its summer meetings, the RNC, I should say, and we have quite a few – Republican primaries now shaping up for Senate seats, uh, where longtime GOP incumbents are getting uh, upstart uh, conservatives, some GOP incumbents who are actually pretty conservative themselves. And uh, just after a year, you know, a year is almost, almost a year has gone by since the Republicans got beat pretty badly, uh, at, in, uh, particularly with, in, in the Senate, uh, are they headed for a similar type of uh, disaster of snatching Defeats from the uh, from the jaws of victory uh, next year with all these primary battles. Are the Republicans? Yes. Um, I don't. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's it, it, if if it is possible for them to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, it seems like they will. But um, well, it, it, let me just set that up. I guess for, it, it would seem the conventional wisdom that there are so many seats uh, seats at stake where there are Democrats in in uh, in red states. And I guess the strategy is, you know, get rid of all those red state Democrats and you know, got to hold the other seats. But now if you go ahead and have this primary war in all these uh, in all these uh, cases, uh, you know, that uh, that becomes the message. The Republicans are, you know, instead of trying to govern, it's all about ideological purity. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think, you know, there was an interesting piece yesterday Greg Sargent had in the Washington Post about how, I mean, the, a lot of the ideological purity right now is around immigration and about how little this stuff, like for the, and none of the Republicans, they're just, the kind of Republicans who might, who, who, there aren't Republicans in swing districts where the Hispanic vote matters. Like, there just aren't. And so, like, even though you think broadly, wow, this the Republican Party is going to be really screwed over the, over alienating Hispanics, narrowly, there aren't a lot of members for whom it's, a, it's an issue. And so, and that's, I mean, there's this disconnect that, you know, that, that is, is an annual thing for them. So it goes back to this idea that all, all all these, all the incumbents in Washington are only running based on primaries, not based on generals. Absolutely, is that, is not the, all, based on primaries, and yeah, but I mean, also to some degree, generals. But even the ones who are endangered in generals aren't worrying about immigration. What? Uh, how does that? How, how does that prognosticate for for uh, Chris Christie? Okay, Chris Christie is now headed potentially cruising for a very significant victory. Uh, and, uh, despite the, the fact that, uh, you know, there, he, this special election, there might be some cynicism around, uh, the special election for that, you know, Cory Booker seems poised to win and, uh, you know, the, the Republican probably won't do well, but Chris Christie, you know, is now looking ahead towards beyond the election and, uh, with, a, with a party that's uh, going to be so divided against itself, where does he go? What's the opening for him? I mean, he's trying to very carefully thread a needle, a very difficult to thread needle around, um, you know, to tack left where it's safe, to tack to the center and to the left where it's safe, to take high-profile conservative stances when he needs to, you know, to preserve or to preserve his um, his 
national Republican leadership, but also to a big part of what would make him an appealing nominee is that he was is like Mitt Romney, somebody who could, in theory, appeal to Democrats and swing voters. And so it's tricky. I mean, this is this is the thing that no Republican has managed to figure out since George W. Bush. And in that vein, uh, just to throw another one of those names out there, and I I don't want to liken him to Anthony Weiner, but the Republicans have Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump uh, is now criticizing Christie for potentially going to run a Romney-like campaign already. Uh, oh, uh, Trump just won. I mean, he's the worst. Like, he's just, like, such a toxic force for the Republican Party because all he just wants, he just wants attention sometimes, and that's really it. So I guess this is the attention he wants today. Uh, but he seems to keep reappearing at Republican forums, and uh, is he yeah, ta- he's a is television he, star. You is know? he taken people, seriously? People like... People like um, People like famous people who are on television, I guess. I mean, I'll never forget just the utterly pained body language that Mitt Romney had when Donald Trump endorsed him in Vegas. Well, of course, Mitt Romney... I mean, he's, he's such trouble. Like, everything he touches falls apart. But won't I, people it be... It me that Republicans associate themselves with him. Well, okay, so that's exactly my question, is why is it that there are Republicans running after him? Because, like, he's a famous television star, and they're idiots. <laughs> that's literally my explanation. That's what I got for you. Well, at least that's a succinct answer, I guess. Uh, that, that's not I a mean, very, I don't know. Maybe like that's not a lawyerly. Maybe answer. like this week's, like you know, Real Housewives star wasn't available or something. I don't know. Is this a function of politics as entertainment? I mean, we're all, politics has always been entertainment. Has always been wrapped up in the popular culture and things like that. It's not but, totally new. It just seems like. It's like a particularly weird misjudgment. Like Trump is is also he's sort of an iconic businessman, unless you actually look at his business. But um, is the kind of businessman figure that Republicans, in sort of some theory, like like a tough boss and somebody who's a self-made, you know, billionaire who's made. Except you know his deal is that he inherited all this real estate from his dad and mostly lost a lot of it. Like he's not you know he's not he's not actually anybody's idea of a of a businessman. So it's he just the- plays one on TV. <laughs> It's the idea that Republicans are more competent, uh, or, or that that's been long. The idea that the Republicans have this uh, kind of license to as more competent managers, but and the Democrats, on the other hand, are more disorganized. But I think what we're seeing potentially is, if you really look at it, that was it's it's just not the case. If yeah, that certainly isn't the case for how they run their political operations. Right. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I think that. You know, I, I read certainly a couple of years ago there were uh, there's certainly theories as far as what was the kind of defining moment of the Bush 43 administration as far as the decline, and that was all about Katrina. You know, once voters realized that the Republicans actually didn't have, uh, you know, yeah, we're in a great province of of competence and great manager managerial and good government. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that kind of veneer. You know, slid off, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, they're politicians like everybody else." Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, so really, I, I, I guess, are we headed towards one big, uh, for lack of a better word, freak show in the political season? Just go on headed and on? toward one. Has it ever been? Has it, has it ever been different, Michael? <laughs> well, it might. It, I, I'm just wondering as we head into you know 2014, 15, 16. Uh, you, uh, and beyond, it, 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 the the 2016 race has kind of started 
in already uh, because certainly because of outlets like yours who are covering uh, every single move of everything. We never had that before. That every single move, every single utterance gets covered. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I do think there's a new environment. I, I think the flip side of this ecosystem where, where everything gets covered and everything is out there is that that's true for everybody. Overall, you, every stupid thing you do is on Facebook. And I think people are kind of used to it, are used to seeing their friends, their acquaintances, their employers on Facebook doing stupid stuff occasionally. There's more tolerance for, I mean, as long as it's within the, the you know, within the realm of normal stupid human things, I think there's a lot more tolerance than there used to be. That like sometimes that stuff gets out and there's a video of you drunk doing karaoke and like that's life and it's kind of funny but it's not career ending it's not a gaff I think actually the sort of there's, I mean I think there's actually a lot more tolerance for seeing people do weird stuff than there used to be. <laughs> it's that it's pretty amazing when you think think about it because I you know I wondered myself you know how it is that d- despite the very real the very real issues uh well i guess i'd say potential criminal activity or criminal activity around elliot spitzer he kind of you know shrugs it all off and uh goes ahead and is you know 20 points up in his run for controller and uh the voters seem to want you know be willing to put a hundred billion dollars or a hundred uh in the hands of somebody who could have gone to jail very easily or could have been convicted of a crime maybe wouldn't have gone to jail i mean yeah no i think that's i mean i think yeah, I mean, I think maybe Americans are evolving toward a more European view of some of these things that people's private lives are, you know, aren't appropriate fodder for politics. I don't really know. Well, I think that you know, BuzzFeed in particular is kind of on the cutting edge between enter- both entertainment and uh, and politics. So uh, maybe you guys have found that little sweet spot there. No, it's a pretty big sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty big sweet spot. Okay, so I guess you know my efforts to kind of keep it. Uh, keep it highbrow, or really for naught. I should just go down there and, and and you know just assume that it's all you know they're they're all stupid. That's the uh, and it's you know kind of there's just a lot of stupidity to go around. Which, I think, which, which I seems, think that's uh, I think that that's that's often a good um, a good guess. Okay. A good a good, a good, a good premise. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure that as an editor, you're out there uh, telling your you know telling your intrepid reporters to get out there and find that uh, to find that stupid stuff. Absolutely. So, uh, smart stuff. last question: uh, any uh, any major surprises uh, coming up on September 10th? I'm kind of going to be surprised if any of these people win. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I do think I got to say I'm, I'm super. I'm very interested in the outcome of the Brooklyn DA's race. Okay, so that, that I mean, that's the you you think that that's going to be a nail biter? Yeah, I'm biting my nails as a resident of Brooklyn. As a resident of Brooklyn, in particular, uh huh. And and all the turnover amongst the council seats. Uh, any any race to watch there? That you're and, uh, at? You know, I, I wish I, I wish I had a better grasp of the city council races this year. I'm feeling a little out of it. Okay, and uh, as far as uh, as far as Virginia is concerned, I mean, it, it looks like McCollum might pull it out. I mean, it looks like Cuccinelli might go down with 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 McDonald just over this just grotesque corruption scandal. Which is interesting that the guy who's associated, who's a member of his own party, is associated with corruption, will be more effective than the guy who is actually running, having, uh, you know, uh, being tainted with yeah, a little not, bit of corruption. Yeah, I mean, it's not. You know, McAuliffe's green tech stuff is sort of a mess. Right. But you know, McDonald. I mean, it's just the most basic abuse of the governor's office. This is what he's accused of. Okay, Ben Smith, editor in chief of BuzzFeed, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for your attention to uh, politics, both national and local, and uh, we'll see what happens on September 10th. Thanks, Michael.
Thanks. This is Spin Class uh, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsegel.com, JM and the AM.org, and we will be back next week to uh, anticipate the primary season of 2013. Thank you for joining us.